concerned about your job security, but as this thing builds and builds, I mean, do you get to the point where it creeps into your mind? No, I mean, you know what? As a, as a leader, you can't ever worry about yourself. You know, I'm here. One of the things I told uh, them when I got hired is that uh, selfless service is very important to me. And my goal every day is to improve that room, be consistent, and make sure that our players continue to improve. Is it difficult to maintain that belief and, and not think about what? No, I mean, uh, you know, I believe those things for, for the right reasons because I do feel like we have talent in there. Um, we haven't played like it. There's no doubt that that's been the case. But uh, I believe those things for a reason, and uh, I feel like everybody comes to the park every year for every day for something greater than what's been happening um we have to we have to start making it happen uh somehow some way It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, May the 19th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, unfortunately, the last time we met when we had our friend Matt Cerrone from SNY, it was the beginning of this what was a critical or is a critical stretch for the Mets. And we talked about some worst-case scenarios for this team. And we're living it right now, the worst-case scenario where the Mets go down to Miami and play as sleepy as the minimal crowd environment and sleepy environment at that ballpark, which everybody says is uh, a great ballpark. I don't see it from TV, but I guess you have to be there to appreciate it. But, um, you know, the Mets get swept. They are now two and um, actually three and five on this critical stretch after winning three in a row. And and what a week where uh, if you had the podcast on Monday after they had won, uh, the Mets were 500. And it looked like they were ready to take off and kind of stabilize things and uh, bulk up before what would be a tough trip. Uh, going out west after Memorial Day. I think it starts actually Memorial Day next week. And and now we have a crisis on our hands. Well, joining us in just a little bit to chat about this and weigh in will be Dan Grassa. Dan, you guys know him on SNY, ESPN. He covers the Jets. He covers the Knicks. Does does a ton of stuff. I always say that Dan is like the uh, utility guy over, uh, over there in the media. There's nothing he hasn't done or hasn't covered or... You know, a bunch of stuff that goes on. So he's been on the show before, wanted to get his take and, and bring somebody new, a fresh voice to the air. But where we're at now, and obviously things could change, is there will no, there will not be a managerial change. Uh, if you believe Andy Martino of SNY, who's always had some of the best Mets info and some of the most balanced reporting about the Mets out there. Uh, John Heyman. Uh, John Heyman, the great John Heyman, you you uh, you guys all know who John Heyman is. John is over at uh, uh, MLB Network, WFAN. Uh, John also 
reporting that Mickey Calloway will be the manager uh, tomorrow. Now, this thing could be fluid, and I have said, and I have tweeted, and boy, I got a lot of blowback on Twitter for this, that firing the manager is something you have to take seriously. And everyone is getting mad at me because I was proponent of firing Terry Collins pretty much every year from about 2014 on. And that was a different situation. I felt that there was a real in-game deficiency that when the team was good would come back to haunt them. And sure enough, it did in the in the worst possible moment, the World Series. Uh, I didn't think Terry did everything poorly. He actually managed the media well. Mickey Calloway seems to, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, he's vanilla. And I think that that's what bothers a lot of people. I don't think Mickey Calloway's done a bad job managing this team this year. I don't see bullpen moves that look egregious to me. There's very little things with the lineup and pinch hitting and things like that that get drive me crazy anyway. He's not a fiery guy. He's a guy that's going to defend his players. Uh, he made it pretty clear from day one. Uh, the players seem to be sticking up for him. Uh, now, Noah Syndergaard was pretty vocal about it today. But Noah Syndergaard was pretty vocal about Dan Worthen too, and I'm not sure that Dan Worthen was the best thing for Noah Syndergaard. Uh, although he did pitch a lot better under Worthen than he has under Dave Island. That's for sure. If you fire a manager right now, the only thing you're accomplishing is feeding the beast, feeding the media, feeding the fans, finding a scapegoat. The, the exact thing that people were questioning was Travis Darno's scapegoat, was Keon Broxton a scapegoat. The exact thing that has been brought up negatively about the Mets, you'd actually be doing, you'd be, you'd be making Mickey Calloway the scapegoat. And truthfully, he's not the GM's pick, and usually a manager is an easy scapegoat, an easy way to feed the beast and then shake up the team. I'm not sure in this day and age, the more information that we have out here, the more that we look at things. And if you really want to look at things really balanced, and that's the problem that you guys listening here are so wrapped up in this team, so emotional, so angry, so hurt, so disappointed that here we are even before Memorial Day and and things are spiraling and you don't have any faith that it's going to be a fun season and your baseball season is going out the window. So you're mad and you want someone to pay and that person's going to be Mickey Calloway. And I don't care. Bring up anybody. You know, I'm even here. And look, I've been the biggest Wally Backman supporter for a decade now, but it's just not going to happen. Wally's in the Atlantic League. There's a reason he's down there. And is it fair or unfair? I'm not even going to get into that. I like Wally. I've met Wally. I've spoken to Wally for a long time, on the air, off the air. I know a lot about Wally uh, that we won't get into. And I think he'd be a great big league manager. I just don't know in today's day and age if he can handle or get the support of the organization in an era where he's very old school. And I don't know how he would he would play. I'm not just talking about in the clubhouse, but how he'd, how he'd even play with the media and how he would um, make it through. It's really a cauldron here. I mean, Callaway's learning that firsthand. When you have the amount of time in front of the media, he's learning that firsthand that you know, everything he says now they're going to pick apart. This whole Cano thing, the Mets didn't get swept this weekend because of Robbie Cano. They got swept this week because Robbie Cano didn't hit. That was one of the things, but he's not the only reason they got swept this weekend. They collectively didn't hit. They got bad pitching. And I'll tell you what, because I'll get into that in a minute, they're losing, or where they're at they're losing is because of their pitching. Their starting pitching, specifically. Nothing more. The one thing you were counting on on being good, if these guys are on the field, has been bad. 
And that's why they're where they are right now, 2025. Not the offense. The offense is about what you would have expected it to be. It has some warts. The bullpen has actually been pretty good after a tough start. It's the starting pitching. I'll get to that in a minute. As far as firing the manager, you can't necessarily see Callaway surviving another sweep or a homestand that sees them go one and five. What do they got? They got four against the Nationals, three against Detroit, and then they go out west. What a one and six homestand, two and five. I don't see him surviving that before the Memorial Day West Coast trip. Um, but I also think that you're getting the feel from Van Wagenen and from ownership that they're going to not allow the fans and the media to run this team. They're going to run this team. And they're and, and right now, I, I, and I'm not in the clubhouse every day, I don't see how this is Callaway's fault. This is the roster. The pitching is underperforming. You could maybe blame Island and, and Callaway for the preparation that they put in, but you evaluate a manager. If these guys are coming to work, they're prepared, they're putting the time in, um, they're going out there and, and they're and they're performing day in and day out. They may not be executing, but they're performing to the best of their abilities. Then, you know what? There's not much more you could ask a big league manager to do. Now, there could be a lot of unintended consequences that come from firing a manager. Look back in Mets history, and it happens right away because right now you're early enough in the season where a team could still be who they are because you. It's just the way the baseball works. Teams rise or fall to their level. And there's going to be ebbs and flows throughout the season. And maybe the Mets are a bad team, and maybe they're going to lose 100 games, and maybe this is just the beginning of more. I'm having a hard time believing that this entire rotation is going to be this bad all year or this inconsistent all year, including Jacob DeGrom. Because what happens is you hire an interim or bring in an interim. The team turns it around when inevitably they would have probably turned it around anyway. And you then say that's the reason why they turned it around. Exhibit A is 1990. Mets fired David Johnson with about the same kind of record at the same time of year and gave Buddy Harrelson the job. Now, Buddy was there a long time, and he was a former Met, and I think inevitably he was going to become the manager. I think that was something that it sounded like was in play for a long time. Frank Cashin probably was tired of Davey and his relationship. That was a rocky relationship for a long time. So they were waiting for a reason to fire Davey and give Buddy the job. But I'm not sure in 1990 the reason the Mets almost won the division or got hot was because Davey was fired. I think they were just about to get hot and things were going to come together. Similar situation. The pitching, when they pitched, they didn't hit. When they hit, they didn't pitch. And then everything came together. I mean, that was a rotation with Cohn and Gooden and Viola. And you still had Darling and Ojeda. Maybe they weren't as good as they were in prior years, but you still had a solid five. You had John Franco was the close. You still had Strawberry. So Buddy gets the job. Buddy comes back the following year. Now all of a sudden, everyone realizes Buddy's not a great manager. Buddy's struggling. Buddy can't handle the fans booing. Buddy can't handle the excessive media. Uh, and, he, and he crumbles. And he gets fired. And that brings Jeff Torborg and the worst team money could buy. And away you go. Now the team was on the downswing after Strawberry left. That run was about coming to an end. They had made some critical mistakes. So even if Davey stuck around, things probably would have gotten bad. But you then made Buddy the solution, and then you had to change Torborg, and then Torborg wasn't the solution, and then you brought in Dallas Green, and then Dallas Green led to Bobby V, and then you finally kind of got the thing headed in the right direction. You had about seven years going through this. Right now, you've had stability with Terry Collins, and you don't want to see that happen. Another situation. 
you had stability with Terry Collins, and then you've kind of brought Callaway in, and now you, you could you could have a, you could see a similar thing. Another situation. Go back to 2008. Again, team got off, collapsed in 07. Everyone's angry, you know, heard about 06, angry about 07. Somebody needs to go. Somebody needs to pay. You have Tony Bernazard pushing his agenda in the background. Willie Randolph gets fired around Father's Day. Mets are under 500. Jerry Manuel comes in, takes over. Bing, bang, boom. Away you go. And the team goes on a hot streak. They actually were in first place in September before a bad bullpen undid them. And I think the Mets pretty much ended up, if you really look back and you're honest about those Mets teams in 06, 07, 08, they ended up where they belong because there was talent deficiencies there. It didn't matter if it was Willie Randolph or Jerry Manuel or whomever. And Jerry stuck around, and it turned out, you know, Jerry wasn't really a great manager. He was kind of a goofy guy. And there was some injuries in 09, and then they really were at a point where post Madoff, they weren't going to invest, and they decided to reboot the whole thing and bring Alderson and Terry in, and, and, and now you see where things go. The point is, if you fire Callaway now, you need to know what the solution is going to be. I don't want to just have Riggleman come in because, truthfully, Riggleman's probably, yeah, maybe you'll get a week of good baseball and you'll feel good about yourself and, ah, this guy. And maybe Riggleman's better. I don't know enough about Riggleman. Maybe he's going to be better with the media. Maybe he'll give you good quotes, just like Jerry Manuel did. You'll be able to write these great things. They mentioned now Luis Rojas, who apparently I didn't even realize is Moises Solu's brother, who's the quality control coach. He's the guy that's the liaison between the front office and the dugout. Great guy. If I'm a GM, that's my guy. Because now I got my guy that he owes me in the dugout, feeding me information. Now I'm in the dugout if I'm the GM. And it sounds like, from what everyone says, he's got good leadership skills. He's moved his way up the organization. He's been with the team for over 10 years. He knows this organization. He predates all these guys. I mean, he goes back to Omar. So And Omar's still now back. So he's been here a long, long time. He knows this organization. He knows the minor league system. That's not a bad guy. That's a lot of what you really wanted when you were going to bring Wally Backman in, potentially, back in 2010. It's one of the reasons why I liked Wally Backman, other than from a marketing perspective. So you bring Luis Ross. Maybe that's the long term, but you better be right because you don't want to throw a guy like that in temporary. And then you, you maybe they maybe they go on and have a good season, and you see that they're that they're just one or two pieces away, or they make a wild card, and now you give the guy an extension, and now it turns out he's the wrong guy, and now a year later or two years later you're back to square one. You don't want to keep doing this. The point is, if you're going to get rid of Mickey Calloway, make it the solution, and that's why I really believe, short of this thing getting embarrassing, and there are some embarrassing things going on with Cano right now. But short of it being embarrassing where they're non-competitive, and they have been, they, you may not like losing 2 nothing, 3 nothing, one nothing, whatever, but the, they're in most every game. I mean, up until the last couple of days, it's not like the, you could turn that TV off and say, yeah, they're, they're, they're done, like the last couple of years. They come back, you know, they don't, you know, they don't, know, they don't win. They got a losing record, but they're in every game. So they're not that far off. And to me, that's not reason enough to fire this manager. Now, at the end of the year, all bets are off. You want to evaluate and see who the best guy is going forward, fine. You know who I would have wanted all along? I like experienced guys with some with some structure, some uh, spit, some vinegar, things like that. I like Buck Showalter. 
I'd be intrigued by Girardi, but I'll tell you what, Girardi is a guy that had tons of issues on the way out. I, it's amazing how I got Girardi's name thrown around when the media didn't like Girardi when he was with the Yankees. I hear Robin Ventura's name. Robin Ventura is Mickey Calloway. When we had the search for a manager, and we, uh, I can't remember who we brought on, but we brought somebody on, whether it be a blog or, or, or something, we talked about Ventura because obviously the connection to the late 90s Mets. He was one of the things that White Sox fans hated about him was that he wasn't passionate, it seemed. It seemed like he was too mellow. Well, you got that already with Mickey Calloway. So I really believe you all need to take a step back. I know you're hurt. I know you're angry. I know you're ticked off. But the reason this team is losing is if you go to baseballreference.com this morning, tonight, whenever, whenever you're listening to this podcast, and you go bring up the starting pitching, they are all below league average. All of them. And some of them significantly. 20 to 25% below league average. That means that you can get minor league starters to come in and do better than everybody from Jacob deGrom on down. If you had the Dodgers, who have scored 240 runs, their offense with the Mets pitching, you still would only be about 24 and 20 if you use the Pythagorean calculator. 25, 24 and 21, 25 and 20, thereabouts. That's what the best offense in the league right now. So it's not the offense. The bullpen, Diaz has been really good. He's been everything you've asked. Had a couple of shaky outings. Every closer is going to have that. Even Mariano had that. Lugo and Gazelman have been very good. Familia seems to have, with his little rest, he looked better on Friday. He's looked better his last two outings. Bachelor's shown some intriguing things. They've got some kids down in the minors that may be ready soon. Okay. Gallo has looked good. Drew Gallo in, in the bullpen. Uh, you know, Daniel Zamora could, you know, be brought in to bring lefties out. I'm not upset about the bullpen. What I'm trying to figure out is this rotation. You know, Noah Syndergaard struck out three guys today. He's not necessarily getting swings and misses like he used to. Now, I'm not the biggest guy. It has to be strikeouts, but I'll tell you what. He's a hittable. They're hittable, his pitches. DeGrom, you want to know why I told you was at the beginning of the year what was going to happen. He's feeling the pressure of that contract. Not only is he feeling the pressure of a new contract, which every player has, he's feeling the pressure of repeating an historic season, which we knew he wouldn't, even if it was his best. Everything he does this year is going to pale in comparison, but he's below league average right now. Steven Matz as well, and who knows how st stable he is with this nerve issue. Can he handle a workload, or is he going to have to be like a John Main that's going to need time off? This rotation is the disappointment. It's not Robinson Cano's hustle. Yeah, it's a bad optic. Yeah, everybody's going to talk about it. This is who he is. I knew this coming in. Do you think Pete Alonso is going to uh, going to go to Cano for tips on how to, you know, be la di da or whatever you know he you like to call that? Too cool for school? Now you worried? Does he have a bad impact on Rosario? Rosario's made the same stupid mistakes this year that he did before Cano was on the team. You've got listen. You've got a team here that has an elite closer, has three really good offensive pieces that are young in Alonzo, McNeil, and Conforto. Not putting uh, Rosario in there because I don't believe as much in Rosario. You know, I, I thought maybe Nimmo would be in there, but Nimmo's really regressed this year. Um, uh, you've got good bullpen pieces in Gazelman and Lugo. 
you know, at some point, Familia, I think, is going to uh, be back to as close to normal as long as he's healthy as possible. If you believe that this starting rotation is going to continue to perform below league average the rest of the year, then the season's over. Then the season's over. I don't. Now, I said that about the offense last year, but there's a hell of a lot more upside, even when that offense was performing at 1962 Mets level last year. There's a hell of a lot more upside to this offense, uh, this starting uh, pitching, than it would have been on the offense last year, year before, even this year. You might see some regression on Alonzo and and McNeil. Still pretty good players. you got to think that you're going to get more out of Cano and Ramos. And Nimmo. And eventually you're going to get Lowry back unless a hamstring is it's going to be one of these Jacoby Ellsbury injuries where it, you know, it, it goes on and on forever with no end in sight. We'll see. But to fire the manager. And look, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, things could change. Right now it looks like it's not going to happen, so it's a moot point. But to fire the manager. When the, only, when the thing that's hurting them is something that really isn't out of his control, which is pitchers with a resume with high upside, some who have gotten contracts, one who's, who's gotten a contract, three who are eventually going to want big contracts, not performing and performing significantly below expectations and league uh, norms for them. I just don't see how that's his fault. What is he doing? What, his, he's not throwing the table over in the clubhouse? I mean, come on. Are we still at this point in our lives where we're going to throw those kind of narratives? You're angry because your baseball season, you think, is going up in flames. And I'm ticked off, too. But just to get people fired. I've heard seen people yell for Chili Davis to get fired. Are you insane? What is that going to do? Now, if there's a preparation issue, that's different. There's no indication that the front office feels that way. And you hate the front office. I see Van Wagenen getting uh, roasted, fine, you don't like all the moves the early returns aren't great on a lot of his moves but he brought in a bunch of guys that just a year ago, some of them were the Red Sox winning a World Series and they were the class of baseball you wouldn't see anybody criticize the Mets bringing in a Red Sox employee so let's just have some balance, some perspective some maturity this is not me apologizing for the team they have underperformed this is horrible what they've put themselves into and if they do write themselves, and I do believe they will, they will look back, and this stretch may be what ultimately cost them a chance to even get a second wild card. There is nobody in this National League East that I think is going to run away with it, the Phillies included. So I'm not really worried about there not being a baseball season. What I'm worried about is them just performing, and I focus on what the Mets can do. If the starting pitching performs as they should, they will win more than they lose. I still believe that. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Dan Grassa will have a chance to talk to Dan, ESPN, SMY. He does a bunch of things. We'll get his take. Let's see what he thinks about my talk, take on the Mets, Mickey Calloway, the starting rotation, and the uh, chaos that is surrounding this team. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Mickey Calloway will keep his job at least through the weekend, but obviously the Mets' listless performance in Miami and really – Tough time over the past couple of weeks has led to serious questions about his job security. The most obvious choice to replace Callaway, if the Mets were to make a move, would of course be bench coach Jim Riggleman. But don't just assume that it would be Riggleman if the Mets got to that place. There is some thought that the team could go outside 
This is tough to do in season. You almost never see it. It's almost always the bench coach that takes over. But if you just think of guys like a John Gibbons, who's got Met ties and who's managed the Blue Jays, a Buck Showalter, say, a Dusty Baker, these are guys who might be able to come in and give what still is a fairly talented roster a little kick and get them going for the rest of the year. Uh, again, not something you ever really see, uh, but something that the Mets could consider. Robin Ventura, of course, another guy with Met ties, that's someone who, even if not on an interim basis for the rest of the year, I would keep an eye on as a future Met manager if Ventura decided that he wanted to come back to managing. So a lot of intrigue, a lot of names, no decisions yet, and I don't think this will be a simple couple of days or a week or so as this plays out with Mickey Calloway and the Mets. We're back, and uh, joining me, SNY's Dan Grassa. You can check out Dan over at SNY. He's also uh, on a show called The Thread, a new show at 5 o'clock over there, MLB Network. Dan is also what I call the utility man of media. You can check him on ESPN, the Knicks, the Rangers, uh, the Jets pre- and post-game hosts. Whatever is out there in New York sports, Dan's uh, all over it, and he's with us now. Dan, welcome to the program. How you doing, my friend? Mike, doing good. A lot better than the Mets are these days, I would say, right? Well, look, this is a wild week for a guy like you. You got the whole Jets scenario with the GM, mm. right? You got the mm. Knicks. So somehow the Knicks uh, lost the lottery, if you really want to take that take, because Matt beat them, right? And then you got yeah. the Cano not hustling, the manager. Um, you got a whole bunch of stuff. The Yankees are kind of quiet because no one's paying attention to them because they're winning. So you could take your pick on your side of the aisle, J.D. and the Rangers. So you've got a lot of things you could go into. You could be doing podcasts of all different teams all, all, all day, and there's stuff to talk about. Yeah, you're right about that, right? No shortage. And, you know, if you want to say that this might be a little bit of a low period usually, you know, as we start to enter the summer, all the heavy lifting and stuff is gone, at least on the football end, but not really because, I mean, as you've outlined it pretty good there, everything that went on here in the past week, but, I mean, if you just want to go more recently here with the Mets, I mean, you know, this was a nightmarish weekend down in Miami. I mean, to get swept is unfathomable. I mean, when we left on Friday and we were just outlining, you know, what they had to do conceivably, win the series, you know, somehow, some we just take two out of three. They weren't going to go 19-0 and against this Marlins team this season, despite how bad they are. But if you would have told me then that they wouldn't even have come out of the weekend with a win – and not only that, just muster three lousy hits over the last couple of days. I mean, that, to me, just would have been hard to believe. And now it's contagious. You know what I'm saying? Losing is contagious. You just look at this team out there. They're lifeless. They're not showing you any emotion. You got Robinson Cano, as you said, who's not running balls out, which is just uh, – I, I can't even comprehend that. Yeah, there's a lot going on with this baseball team right now, and it's not good. Now, all those things you just pointed out are recipes to get a manager fired. And in another time, I think it'd be easy to say that. But I think we're a little bit more intelligent in today's day and age, maybe because of data and analysis and, and whatnot. And look, you may not like Mickey Calloway. You may not like all his moves. You may not feel he's fiery. Those are all fair and, and accurate at times. Um, but I really don't know if I can say Mickey Calloway is the problem here. Now, reports are, and it's, you know, we're, we're taping this at 6 o'clock on a Sunday so things could change, is that he's coming back. SNY's Andy Martino, John Heyman of MLB Network, everybody who's the no guys are saying he's coming back and he's not in, in jeopardy now. Um, do you agree with that? Are you surprised to hear that? What's the Dan Grassa take? 
Well, like you said, I, I mean, let's just take the last couple of days. All right, is, is it Mickey Calloway's fault that these guys can't go up there and hit Marlins pitching, which, let's be honest, is not all that terrific to begin with? You know, three lousy hits. I think one of the guys, maybe it's Todd Frazier, who said, you know, he can't go up there and swing the bat for us. He's absolutely right about that. Is it Mickey Calloway's fault that Jacob DeGrom, who was the best pitcher in baseball last year, goes out there and gets lit up for six runs by the Marlins on Friday night? And, you know, outside of maybe a, a handful of starts this year, it looks nothing like the guy who was the best pitcher in the sport last year. You know, I, I don't know if those things necessarily fall on the manager, but teams who are underperforming, they need a scapegoat. You can't fire 25 guys. So what they look to do is they make a change just to put everybody on notice. Now, I don't know if that's the manager. I don't know if that's a hitting coach that you just hired this year. I don't know if that's a pitching coach who last year was good enough to shepherd over a guy who, as we said, won the Cy Young Award. I don't know what you do. The problem is, though, Mike, this team needs a kick in the you-know-what some way, somehow. And I don't know if you have enough leaders in that clubhouse right now who are going to be able to deliver that themselves. I mean, bring Robinson Cano over here, a guy who's been in the league for a while, who's accomplished a heck of a lot, who's played in this city before, and now goes out there two days after he doesn't run a ball out and is put on notice about that, is in the same situation again today. And if it was me... Because of what happened most recently, you would bet I'm running everything out just to be on the safe side. And he does something maybe even more egregious today. And with the losing, it just compounds everything. I don't know what you do. I don't think anything is happening in the next 24 hours. Maybe if those reports are accurate that you said Andy had and John Heyman had out there, maybe they're going to let this week play itself out because you have the uh, Nationals coming in for four. Then you have a Tigers team coming in for the weekend. Maybe then they take stock of the franchise on Memorial Day, and if this thing is not turned around, you could look at some changes possibly. And Dan Gross is joining us at SNY, at Dan Gross on Twitter. There's un- I was talking in the open. There's unintended consequences of firing a manager. You could go back to history and look at it. You look back, and I know this is a long time ago, to 1990, the Mets fired Davey Johnson. Similar record, mm-hmm. similar time of year. Buddy Harrelson takes over. They get hot. They just miss making the playoffs uh, down the stretch. You could argue, and I think Davey certainly did to a certain degree in his book that came out recently, that they would have had the same record and they probably would have gotten hot if he had stayed the manager. Uh, Willie Randolph gets canned uh, after Father's Day, controversial firing. Jerry Manuel uh, takes over. Mets were in first place. They fall a little short. Mm -hmm. The team had deficiencies. You could argue that if Willie stayed on, that would have happened as well. Now, in both cases, the manager that took over benefited from getting a contract and then it turns out very quickly the year after was not the right person. So my thing is keep Callaway, let this ride out. I know it's painful. It's you know if things go bad, and I still don't think they're going to be a 90 loss team. I think there's a lot here, uh, short of them getting more injuries and 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 some huge outliers. We'll get to that in a minute. I just think if you're going to bring in a new manager, that's fine. Bring in the guy that's going to be the solution, not just a stopgap like Riggleman or something like that. Well, that's a, and, and you're right about that because, look, I mean, Riggleman's here. Brody Van Wagenen brought him on, and Riggleman has a resume of being the guy who steps in when things don't go well with the guy he's working under. And I think that as soon as Riggleman was hired, that Mickey was put on notice that, you know, if things should go south, we have a guy in waiting who can at least maybe mind the store until we find that permanent solution. I don't know who that guy is, to be honest with you. I don't know if they know. 
who that guy is. Now, the old saying is, is that, you know, and I've look, I, I've worked with several of them. I've talked to several of them. General managers have lists. They always have lists. So even if you're not necessarily looking for a new manager, you always have a list of names in your back pocket that you can refer to should that situation ever present itself. But Bertie Van Wagenen has only been a general manager for what? Six months, if that. I don't know if he's as seasoned as some guys with other experience and would know how to go down the road like something like this. He didn't hire Mickey Calloway. He inherited Mickey Calloway. Now, you know that there's some attractive guys who are out there on the unemployment line right now doing other things, whether it's Buck Showalter, whether it's Joe Girardi, whether it's Mike Sosha, you know, guys who have accomplished some things in the dugout before. But you know what that also comes with is a nice paycheck, too. Those guys aren't going to come running back onto the field you know, for, you know, $850,000, what they're paying Mickey Calloway, who was an inexperienced manager. I don't know if the Mets want to invest that type of capital into an experienced skipper like that. Otherwise, sure, if you're going to make a, tr- a, a change in the manager's office, you can pick up the phone and call Joe Girardi at MLB Network and say, Joe, what's it going to take for you to come back to New York and, and, and take over for the Mets, not just for this season, but for maybe the next coming years, you're going to have to meet his price. So, I think that's another thing that's going in Callaway's favor right now is that I don't know if you have that permanent solution who's automatically at the snap of a finger going to take over this job and rescue the franchise. And it's interesting you talk about the manager. I mean, we've been lectured, you know, from the analytics crowd, whether the fans or the media, that managers don't matter. You see who they hire in dugouts now. Um, You wonder, you know, the names and, and personally, the names you threw at me, if I had a choice, that's the direction I would have went. I have nothing against Callaway. I think he's probably more of a pitching coach than a manager. And I don't think he's done anything, you know, yeah, the lineup thing last year, but let's put that behind. Other than that, there's nothing I look at like, wow, that's really dumb. Or the bullpen management, every manager makes quirky moves out of the bullpen. Right. So to me, you know, and I don't know if you agree with this, the Buck Showalters, the Girardis, the Socias, I think Buck is an interesting candidate. That would be a name. I know everybody loves Wally Backman. But that's not going to happen. I mean, well, who would Dan Grotza hire? Would you keep Callaway? Would you fire him? What would you do if I made you the general manager? We have, we have an agent as a GM. Now we're going to have a talk radio, you know, television personality. We're going to make you the GM now. What would you do? Well, before I answer that question, let and me throw we'll another fire you. Out. We'll fire you a year. Yeah. That's what we'll do. Exactly. Yeah, like I need that <laughs> we'll talk bad about you on right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, but another name we should throw into the mix, because I saw it floated around uh, last night, and I can't remember who put it out there, but I think, you know, and it, was, it wasn't a name that I had thought of, but it makes sense the more I've thought of it, is Robin Ventura. You know, a guy who has managerial experience for a few years there with Chicago, a former Met, a guy who I know for a fact is held in extremely high regard by the Wilpons. They think the world of Robin Ventura, so... That's something to keep your eye on also as a potential wild card if they are going to make a move. Now, I would probably still give it a little bit of time before I would look to make the quick hook with Mickey Calloway. Um, Teams could go through bad weeks. Teams could go through ruts. It's still a 162-game season. I was watching the postgame today, and Noah Syndergaard, I think, was the one who referenced 2015 to where you, you remember, I'm sure, you go back into June and they were scuffling. They were under 500. They were playing uninspired baseball. And if I would have told you that team was going to win a pennant, you would have thought I was crazy. The reason why I don't totally agree with 2015 comparison is that, remember, you had the John Mayberry Juniors, the Eric Campbells of the world in that lineup. 
Right now, they're healthy. You've got guys in this lineup who you expect to produce. They're just not producing. If you think that changing the manager is going to spur those guys on, a veteran group for the most part, then be my guest. I don't know necessarily if that's the answer. I would wait it out for Callaway a couple of more weeks. But then if we get to, like, June 1st and this team is still lagging behind, then you know what? They're probably going to just say, all right, Jim Riggleman, you're mining the store for the rest of the year. See what you can do. Now, I'll throw you something here, and this might even be something you could throw in on the thread when you, when you talk about firing Callaway. So you look at the Mets, and you could talk about the offense, and that's an easy thing to jump on uh, a weekend where Cano doesn't run things out. He's scuffling. They get shut out two days in a row by a last-place team. But the starting pitching has been the problem. They're all below league average. And even if you put the Dodgers offense, and I ran the you – you can find everything on the internet now. You did that little calculator, mm-hmm. the Pythagorean one loss. You put the Dodgers offense with the Mets pitching. Mets are only three or four games better than they are now mm-hmm. with the best offense in the National League. So the starting pitching, not the bullpen, the starting pitching has been the problem. To me, there's upside there that you would expect that to come around. I think the offense is what it is. They're going to have days where they're going to struggle. They're averaging about four and a half runs a game. They probably are righty bat short. Maybe that's Lowry when he comes back. But I think the offense is kind of where you would have expected it now that it's leveled out from the very good first month to not good. It's the starting pitching. That's where this all I, plays out. That's where they. That's why they're under 500. Not Callaway, not Cano, not hustling. The starting pitching. That's what it is. I, I don't disagree with you at all. And, I mean, every five seconds, the powers that be and the brass with the team, they remind you that the strength is in the starting pitching. Well, if the strength is the starting pitching, then you're not very strong, are you? DeGrom is obvious. He's not pitching anywhere near the level that he was at last year. Syndergaard has started to come around a little bit here. I mean, you can't blame today on him. They got two stinking hits. You know, you can't fault him for that performance. The guy that I would look to is Wheeler. You know, I've never been a Zach Wheeler believer, say it all the time on the shows, despite the fact that he had a great second half last year. And, you know, everybody was singing the tune that he had figured this out and he's going to morph into one of these elite starting pitchers and get himself a hundred million dollar contract in free agency at the end of the year. Well, where is that guy? You know, he's he, he's constantly plagued by the one bad inning. Well, you know what? Elite pitchers aren't plagued by a bad inning. And forget about what happened this weekend. I, I, I screamed about it on TV last week. You know, when they had that rubber match in Washington, what was it, on Thursday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon, whatever day it was there, and Zach Wheeler takes the ball, and before you know it, you're in a 4 nothing hole at the end of the first inning. You can't do that. You can't put your team in a position like that, throw in the fact they come all the way back and tie the game, and then, boom, he gives it right back with a home run there to Parra. So Wheeler has not taken that next level and been a consistent upper echelon pitcher. I mean, the Denver Vargas fifth starter, Wilmer Font garbage. I mean, you knew that that was going to happen. You know, that's an eyesore in and of itself. But DeGrom not pitching like a Cy Young winner. Wheeler still maddingly inconsistent. Matz is who Matz is. And that's why you have the starting pitching in what it is. And let's take this one step further here. I, I mean, I've never been a familiar guy. Never. But if you look at the moves that Brody Van Wagenen made here in the offseason, which ones have actually panned out, right? He gave up three players to get Keon Broxton, sent packing. You know, they brought Travis Darno back, sent packing. Wilson Ramos suddenly has aged about five years since putting on a Met uniform. You remember when he was wearing a national uniform, his brief time with the Phillies, he would kill the Mets with his bat. Now he's not hitting. 
He's been an eyesore defensively. Familia, who they gave a three-year contract to bring back, has been a disaster at the back end of that bullpen. I would relegate him to mop-up duty because I don't trust him at all. You find Jed Lowry, he's in witness protection. Is Jed Lowry going to get on the field before the 4th of July? So nothing that he – and, oh, by the way, he traded for Robinson Cano, and he looks like a disaster. I know that Diaz was part of that deal, but by and large, the moves that Brody Van Wagenen made for 2019 have not worked out. Now, if I'm looking at the uh, Dan Grassa Twitter, at Dan Grassa, earlier in the week you made the point, who makes the New York debut first, Jed Lowry or Kevin Durant? Nice little – see, the media has been trolling the Mets fans a lot. That's a, a clever one. i got to give you credit, Dan. That's not a nasty troll. That's a, that's a clever one. So i got to throw that that's one out true. there in case it gets you a couple of Twitter. That's true. That's, it's true. That's true. Right. I mean, for the most part, and you know that injuries have been the bugaboo for this team for the last how many years. You make a joke about the Mets being injured and whatnot. For the most part, they've stayed injury-free this year except for Lowry. And you remember this was back in February – he, you know, it's like the, the second or third day of spring training, and you find out oh, he's got a little bit of mild soreness in his knee. Mild soreness in his knee, now we're going on three months, and that soreness, I guess, hasn't gone away. You know, and, and a couple of weeks ago, he's a few days away. He's on the rehab trail, and now he's got to be shut down again for another couple of weeks or whatever it is. So, I, I mean, that's your injury disaster so far, and this was a guy that – was coming off a career here. You expected him to contribute. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if he was going to perform to what he did last year, but they could certainly use that bat right now the way things are going. I'll throw you another thing that might become more of a story. And, um, you know, it might be a little early on that, but it was going to be hard for Jacob deGrom to live up to last year. I mean, think about 85 Gooden and then 86 Gooden. Right. I understand there were drugs involved there, but Gooden was never looked at the same. It's like, oh, he's Doc, but he didn't strike enough people out. DeGrom was going to face that to a certain degree, but tie in a record-setting contract, that's a lot of pressure. Now, I know we sometimes in the media, you make the pressure thing into a, a talk show, and that's just to fill airtime, but I've talked to players, and I'm sure you have. When that contract is signed, yeah, they're rich, and they're guaranteed that money, but now they have to live up to that. You know, They're human beings, too, that don't want to look at their teammates and say, you know, I'm not doing my part or – I'm basically getting money that I don't deserve in a way, quote-unquote. Uh, that plays into it, and that might be ha- happening a little bit here. The, the strange thing about the Grom, though, is that he signs the contract. Then the next day on opening day, goes out there and thwarts the Nationals. And then the second start, he goes down to Miami and just absolutely blows the fish away with, what, 14 strikeouts. So his first two starts of the year – you say, oh, same to Grom. Here he is. He's going to roll on. He's going to go on like a Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox streak here, just rolling off Cy Young's left and right in consecutive seasons. And then he had the one start against Minnesota with the rain delay. And then it was another start with bad, crappy weather. And, you know, you're trying to make all these excuses. And then he had the issue with the elbow. I mean, we were live on the air on Friday doing the thread, you know, what was it in April? And we get the breaking news that the Grom's going back for an MRI. Is there something wrong with that elbow? I don't know. They're not telling us. But, you know, he pitched well prior to Friday's start for a few for a few consecutive outings. And he thought, okay, he's figured this thing out. And then he throws in the clunker there on Friday. I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, you'd have to ask him if, you know, the, the money is weighing on him, as if he needs to validate the contract that he signed. I mean, DeGrom has never had the reputation of being a guy who doesn't give it his all or who wolfs in any way. I mean – if they had 25 Jacob DeGroms in that clubhouse, you know, I think they would be in a better situation than they are right now. 
Will you be going to Obi Wan uh, Kenobi? And mean by, I mean by Kenobi, <laughs> Kenobi, <laughs> bobblehead. So come on, you. I, I stole that from your Twitter there because you put it up there. I didn't even remember that they did the dopey bobblehead. I mean, this, this, this the baseball's gotten to the point where that's going to be the new thing. Let's pack the house with a bobblehead, line people up all the way to the train station out there on Roosevelt Avenue. Uh, you know, make a security hassle for everybody to get this dopey bobblehead. What are people doing with these bobbleheads? I'm trying to figure this thing out. I don't get it. I mean, I have a Mike Piazza one that I scrounged up somewhere, but I'm not a bobblehead guy. Are you a bobblehead guy? Because I'm just, I don't know. I'm not a bobblehead guy. I mean, not hardcore. I mean, I have a couple, but I mean, these, these are Do you have a Dan Grossa bobblehead? Is there a Dan Grossa We don't have one yet. They should make one. You know, they should just make some angry Mets fan bobblehead guy. And, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe that's one day in the future. Who knows? But no, I mean, this look. I mean, you look at some of these corny items that they give away at ballparks, you know, a, a little toy truck or a, a cheap little bag that if you put, like, something in it, it's going to collapse and break at the shreds or something like that. But the bobbleheads, people take to for some reason, and it gets people in the ballpark. I don't know what it is. And it gets $100 on eBay. That's what I think it gets. Yeah, that, and that too. There you go. So, at Dan Grass on Twitter, uh, SNY, Jets pre- and post-game, Knicks, the thread at five o'clock. I mean, I think you've been on that New York baseball tonight. Uh, yep. Baseball tonight, in New York, I should say. I mean, you're listen. You're you literally the media utility man. So before I let you go, what else you have coming up? Because I enjoy your work. And like, uh, uh, here's, here's a typical day. I turn on my Sirius in the car. Dan Gross's voice comes up. Then I'm popping on the post game, and I somehow see you pop up. And then you got the like. It's like I, you you've infiltrated media all over my life. I don't know if you're following me around, but. You're like the utility man of New York sports, so it's good stuff over there going on with you. All right, well, thank you for that. And, and you know, if I can infiltrate as many lives as possible, that's a good thing. Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, you know things have uh, you know been going pretty well. Working hard, just uh, keeping my nose down, and the opportunities have presented themselves. And you know, we have fun doing it. And like you said, this is what I believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, this is almost like my off season. You know, because the Jets haven't started up yet. The Nick stuff has come and gone here. So this was supposed to be a quiet couple of months before everything kind of gets raring to go again. But uh, as you know, I guess there really never is a down moment in this town with all the stuff that goes around. If I'm the Will Ponds, I root for the Knicks to make some news, for the Jets to continue. There's got to be another team in this town that could do something to give them cover. I have a feeling that's not going to happen in the next seven to ten days. But if they can get hot and ride this out to June 30th, the Knicks should be able to hide them for most of July, if you think about it. So from a cynical standpoint, that's what I'd be rooting for if I was ownership. Well, 100%. I mean, the Knicks are going to be the story probably, like you said, for July. 100%. I mean, good or bad. You know, whether they land the big fish, whether they don't, whether, you know, throw in the draft, they're going to be the story here. And the other thing, you know, that doesn't get talked about enough is I think what kind of compounds what's been going on with the Mets is that, you mentioned it a little bit before, the Yankees. I mean, they're missing guys left and right, and they're a first-place baseball team. So when you look at what the Mets are going through, and then the Yankees, who have their fair share of excuses, are going out there and winning games, it looks even worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, listen, get back to your weekend. I appreciate you spending some time here on a Sunday night. Thank you again. Let's do this uh, again and, and be well, and I'll be catching up with you and watching you on your various outlets over there. All my friend? Michael, thank you as always. Enjoyed it, and uh, anytime. You'll be good. That's great. Dan Grassa, at Dan Grassa on Twitter, ESPN 98.7, Jets pre- and post-game, the thread at 5 o'clock 
on SNY. Uh, check it out. Good stuff. Hey, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Appreciate Dan Grasa coming on. Definitely, listen, uh, if you're out there in media and you look at what Dan has accomplished and the amount of uh, play he's gotten, how he's just hustled his way to different opportunities he's doing it the right way uh, i mean i give him a lot of credit everywhere you go mlb network sny jets Knicks. that's the way to do it man that's the way to be uh to be uh to be someone in this business that's what i can tell you from the knowing people that have made it and for someone like me who has not but has a little niche there in the uh in the world the way dan goes about it is the right way hey want to thank dan for uh, spending some time with us today i want to of course thank you guys the listeners Check uh, out me out at MetsmerizedOnline.com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll be back with more Talking Mets soon. Take care, everybody.